it's time to go beyond the locker room talk and listen in with me, GB, producer Jay, former patients and current friends of our own Cornell-trained, world-renowned urologist and surgeon, Dr. Michael Hyman. Let's talk about the issues on men's minds where no topic's out of bounds on another sit-down with two men and a doc. Welcome to the show. JT, how, you, how are you? I'm good, GB. Yourself? Doing well. Doc? Uh, I'm okay. I, I get a little bit uh, nervous when the weather is so <laughs> yeah. warm in January. You've been saying that every week because it's true. It's, it's yeah. still, you know, now everyone's talking earthquake weather. It's like mid-80s in Los Angeles in the middle of January. Yeah. Why does that make you nervous? Well, I mean, it's just not normal. Well, it's going to rain later in the week. I know, but this temperature, I mean, when did, I, I, I don't recall, I can't remember when it was in the mid-80s in Los Angeles in January. Yeah, no, I saw something on the news the other night, like, th- by this time, we had, like, 15 inches of, of rain through the winter. We only have, like, four or five inches of rain so far. Yeah, it's lighter, but, well, last year, actually, and not to get into too much weather talk, but we, um, it was light last year until March. Right when COVID started is when it rained for, like, two, three weeks, and we caught up. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. That's when my car flooded. <laughs> oh, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, yeah, my car got totaled. That's right. Because oh, of the rain. right. That's right. The electrical, right? Yeah. The, the electric, yeah, and the convertible. Yeah. Tough life. <laughs> 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 um, we, uh, it's been a few weeks since we've gotten together, but just a couple days ago, um, we got some viewer mail. Wow. Uh, listener mail, actually. Hey. So I didn't even tell you. I didn't tell you That's guys That's exciting. About this. It is. Now, for faithful podcast listeners, you might remember it was about a year ago that the president of the Two Men and a Doc, fan, the self-proclaimed president <laughs> of the Two Men and a Doc fan club, um, sent us oh, a I'm package. Oh, I'm wearing the hat. Yeah, so am I. Oh. And, I was uh, wearing mine earlier. Yeah, Doc was. He said it. So, What did she send us this time? So we have, we have something in this package, which I've actually looked at this, but I've not opened the note, so I will open the note. If I can get that, like, this, this is real mail. I thought she was talking about email. No, but this, this is, is the real thing. This is actually. Uh, yeah, we accept all sorts of U.S. postal mail. What does it say on the on the on the envelope? You got to read what's on. No, no, no. The green envelope. Oh, what does it say? It says to JTGB and MH. Oh, okay. This is really personalized. Yes. So here's here's a letter. Um, Dear Two Minute Doc, behind every mask there is a face, and behind that a story. That's in quotes, so I don't know who said that. This is from my sister, who uh, is a teacher, so she probably found that somewhere inspiring. Um, I don't want the year to go by without properly thanking you for your fascinating stories, wise advice, and above all, weekly entertainment. I have recently promoted your podcast, so there should be a surge in listeners in the coming months. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I'll take it. Uh, Since masks are not not only PPE, but also a fashion statement, as the self... It's funny, she said the same thing I did. As the self-appointed president of your fan club, I want you to be wearing the best design there is. I know you'll wear it well. And then she says, um, may we all be vaccinated and be able to see and hug our loved ones once again. And that is for my sister, Ellen. And in this package is... Ah, two minutes of Doc Masks. <laughs> Branded. Look at that. Amazing. So here Amazing. You go. Here you go, Look Doc. Those Gorgeous. Are, those are very cool. I want the denim one. They match your hat. I think they're all denim, yeah. aren't they? Yeah. Oh, and yeah, look at that. They're very cool. I'm putting and, mine on right now. And, well, you know what? They're so, I have to tell you, she's got a pocket here for a, a filter. They're, these are so strong, I actually don't recommend it during a show because no. we're not going to be able to hear you. You can't hear me now? No, I can hear you not too bad, actually. All right. It's, uh, yeah, these are great. Thanks, they're Al. nice and thick. Oh, yeah. Oh, no, I can't hear you at all. Your microphone can you hear me? There you go. 
No. You can't hear me at all. Well, you got two masks on, dude. <laughs> <laughs> all right, I'm going to switch back well, to the other one. For my time. God. <laughs> Well, you can never That's I was like wondering safe. why. Yeah, you can never be too safe around you guys. These are great. Thank you. This Thank is awesome. you. So I'm really excited. It's got the logo, the whole thing. What I like it's is got that the logo. it's like it's it's a nice big size. It is. Yeah, and it matches my for, hat for too. big for big mouths and big heads. <laughs> That's awesome. So we can wear it proudly. <laughs> and as I said last year, we accept all forms of baked goods and uh, any other <laughs> any other paraphernalia. So thank you. Uh, and please do tell your friends. Thanks, Al. That's wow. great. That's great. She should write more often. <laughs> this is great. I'm, I'm fired up. Yeah. All right. So um, so moving on from that, uh, there was one brief story I wanted to get your take on, Doc, and then I think you had a, a case you wanted to talk about. Um, and this was, since we've been gone, uh, an actress, Tanya Roberts, right? That's her name? Yeah. She. Yes, that's right. Don, Tanya Roberts died at, 50, at 65, sorry. And uh, she was a Charlie's Angel. She was a Bond girl. But what struck me is that they finally determined the cause of death was a UTI and uh, a urinary tract infection, which is, was it officially more like, was it sepsis, basically? Well, it has to be. I mean, you know, when when so, people come into the hospital and they're sick and they'll have a fever, especially when you're older, especially if you have other medical problems, and you don't necessarily know the source, you know? She wasn't They'll, older, though. You're right. She Well, she, was, she wasn't she was old, no. but she was older. To be in your mid-60s, you don't know if she had any other medical well, issues. 60s is the new 50. I know, but she might have had, like, diabetes. She might have had some other immunocompromising issues. You don't know. Maybe she was on, like, steroids for some problem. Hmm. You don't know. Um, maybe not. Maybe not. Unusual if she wasn't, if she didn't have any kind of issue like an immunocompromising medication or who knows what, but still possible. Um, it's possible she had a history of recurrent UTIs. So there are, particularly in women, um, they can get a, you know, a problem. It's not an unusual consultation that I'll get where a woman will come in with a history of recurrent urinary tract infections, you know, and I'll say, okay, how many do you get a year? And she might say, you know, six a year, eight a year, or every month. Um, and then I'll that look. That sounds like a lot. It's a lot, yeah. Usually, technically, the, the, the indications for a workup in sort of the standard kind of guideline um, vernacular is um, greater than five per year. Um, but I'll get people who will come into me for three or four in a year because it just seems like, you know, too much. Um, in any event, um, we'll do, uh, you know, various tests to try to figure out if there's some kind of obvious source, like a stone in the kidney or a tumor in the bladder would ca might cause recurrent right. urinary tract infections. And, and we've had episodes where something started out with, you know, something, a urinalysis test, which... Then leads you to find, you know, what is it? Um, I always want to say fissure, but it's not a fissure. It's um, a fistula. Fis a, a fistula. Well, we talked about right. that so a few weeks ago. Different reason, yeah. Right. So different reasons yeah, why, different reasons. which are clearly pretty serious stuff. Right. But the UTI in that case is not what's causing someone to be sick. It's just the indicator. Well, so what I, I, I did, I sort of digressed. The point being that sometimes people will come into an ER and they'll say, I, I've been having fevers or I'm sick. Or I, I'm, you know, whatever, and the ER doctor will, you know, check their temperature. Yeah, you're 102 or 103 or 104, 
and the person's just sick. They're not having any other symptoms. Sometimes they'll, they'll say like, are you coughing? No. Are you seeing any blood in your urine or foul smelling urine? No. Any sores on your body? So it's basically what we would call a fever at unknown origin. And so they'll quickly try to do, you know, what they can to do a workup and they'll get a blood count and they'll see, oh yeah, his white blood cell count is elevated or her white blood cell count is elevated. And so we know there is some kind of infectious issues going on and then they'll do a urinalysis and then, or a chest x-ray. Sometimes the chest x-ray will show pneumonia. So you could have walking pneumonia. You've heard that expression. Walking pneumonia just means that it's essentially an asymptomatic pneumonia. You're not coughing. You're not having any chest pain or anything. But you have a pneumonia and you've got fevers and you're sick. Um, sometimes they'll get the urinalysis back and they'll say, oh, you've got, you know, you, you, you have a urinary tract infection. Now, in this case, when a urinary tract infection causes fevers, it is now systemic, meaning that the bacteria, it's one thing to just have a urinary tract infection, the classic burning with urination and frequent urination that mostly women get. And those are the symptoms that most women who are listening are familiar with. Um, but, but sometimes you can get an asymptomatic urinary tract infection, or you could have a symptomatic urinary tract infection like I just described, but it's not going to necessarily cause fevers. Once it starts causing fevers, it's become systemic. It's gotten into your bloodstream. Because hmm. um, most urinary tract infections do not. Most are what we call simple UTIs. Um, most women would tell you that, you know, of all the UTIs they've ever had, they can probably say they've never had one that's caused a fever. Most women do not have febrile urinary tract infections. Um, so when it causes a fever, it's what we, we use the term urosepsis. We'll call it urosepsis. Um, but it basically means a, a urinary tract infection that's become systemic. It's causing you to have sepsis, quote-unquote. Now, sepsis is a spectrum. It could be, urosepsis may just be a fever, and, and so it's systemic. How do you it's define sepsis? Sepsis is the systemic um, manifestation of a bacterial infection, or it could be a viral infection, but some type of infectious agent that has gained access to your bloodstream is sepsis. Now, what's septic shock? Septic shock is when that infectious agent has not only gotten into your bloodstream, but now it's causing you, because it's so severe and has gotten such a foothold, it's now causing you to drop your blood pressure. It's causing your blood vessels to dilate. And so now you can't maintain your blood pressure. Your blood pressure starts to drop. And now you're going into shock. When your blood pressure drops, you're going into shock. There's many different kinds of shock. Septic shock is one type of shock. And so what clearly in her case took place is that she came in either, I think I read actually that she had, they had, I think she was walking her dog and she kind of passed out. She kind of fell. Yeah. And they took her to the emergency room. Yeah, that's so, right. So, um, which is, that suggests so she that she was feeling was, okay. Well, that, but that suggests that she was, you know, quote unquote, shocky. She mm. was obviously becoming septic. In, in, a, in a minimally symptomatic way, except that then she started getting shocky in that her blood pressure dropped, and that's why she passed out. Right. Um, so she was already, you know, fully septic and really, you know, in septic shock. So I, I would imagine when she got to the ER, they probably, you know, initially didn't know what was going on. They did a full set of labs. They saw she had a 
you know, a floridly positive urinary uh, urinalysis. They said, okay, it looks like she's uroseptic. Um, and probably very quickly, if it gets really severe, quickly, I mean, you, you can, you can, you know, quote unquote, crash very quickly when you're in, when you're in septic shock. And it can be very difficult to get some people out of it. Sometimes it's not, and sometimes it is. So she must have had a fever prior to this, would you say? Um, well, yes and no. Sometimes people, uh, this is where I don't know her medical history, but sometimes you may be for some reason not able to mount a fever response. That happens sometimes where either because you have some other medical condition or because you're on some type of drug, hmm. you can't mount a fever response. And so then, you know, for example, um, let's say you're on chronic non-steroidal anti-inflammatory medication. Like for some reason, you have to take 600 milligrams of ibuprofen every six hours. No, Maybe you it's, had some yeah. kind of uh, back injury. So when you say, I got you, I'm sorry to skip ahead, but you're saying she couldn't mount the fever. She didn't get a fever because she was taking other medication. Um, well, we're, we're, that's we're hypothesizing. Totally hypothesizing yeah. I know, I know. But it's possible right. that that's why she didn't get a fever because she was taking other medication. The most common other. individual who cannot mount a fever response is the elderly. I mean, this she would not fall into that category. But it's a classic thing that somebody who's like in their 80s becomes Euroseptic, and the first sign might be mental status change. They're just starting to slur their speech. They sound drunk. They're not making sense. A family member gets alarmed, takes them to the hospital, and they see that they've got a, you know, they're, they're Euroseptic. So they, hmm. they didn't have a fever. Right. So that's, that's, you know, but that's, you know, and so, and then, and then it kind of goes from there. You know, she's probably, you know, they're in the ER. They're like, oh, she's very hypotensive. She has very low blood pressure. They probably start, you know, they put in an IV. They start pumping her with fluids to try to get her blood pressure up. But they probably started to see they, they really couldn't get her blood pressure up. So then what do they do? They start giving her, um, they give her what are called, um, you know, uh, they give her antibiotics? There, there, there's, there's drugs like, uh, um, why can't I remember the name of them? There, there are drugs. They go on a drip, um, and they b basically elevate your blood pressure. Levo, Levo, Levofed. They, they increase your blood pressure. They're like epinephrine, these types of drugs. Mm. And they increase your blood pressure, but they're dangerous drugs. They can cause all kinds of other problems. And so they have to be continuously monitored in an ICU. But if you get so weak... From being in septic shock, you're so weak and so barely able to, you know, it's putting, it's, it's gotten into your brain. You can barely keep your eyes open. You can't breathe. You stop breathing. Your, your, your breath becomes shallow. So what do they have to do? GB? You got to take off the mask. You take off the mask. Okay, the mask is off, but you're, you're, you're so weak and your breath is so shallow. You can't even maintain oxygenation. And, and intubate. You're, yes, you have to intubate. So when you go into septic shock and it gets really severe, you often have to, it's not unusual to have to become intubated. When you intubate. I'm sorry? When, when somebody gets intubated, yes. does it uh, uh, put a hole in the trachea or you just go through the mouth? You go through, you, go, you put the endotracheal tube through the throat down into the trachea and there's a little balloon inside that tube. So it's not going into your esophagus, they're directing it into your trachea. And then they inflate a little balloon inside, so it holds it in place. Comes out of your mouth. They tape it to your mm. to your cheek, so to add extra, you know, to give it an extra security. So, and then it's connected to a machine. Now, if they keep that in for more than seven days, what can happen is that balloon that I just explained that inflates the cuff 
in the endotracheal tube will start to cause a condition called tracheomalacia, which means that it'll, it'll start to damage the trachea mm. and cause scarring in the trachea. So then they have to switch, as you just suggested, to a tracheostomy. So then they have to make a little hole in your neck. It goes straight into the trachea, and then they put it in a tube that way. So when you get intubated... Do they give you pain meds or it depends? They sedate you typically. Yeah, you're under. They will typically sedate you. Typically, but it is, there are instances. It's rare. There's instances where they won't if it's like life or death and they don't have time to like properly sedate you. They'll just do it. How does that feel? Uh, Horrifying. But it feels like you're like probably like choking. Yeah, it's yeah. it's a horrific experience and, for and people so who are awake. And so you witnessed people when you were in med school like this or? I'm sorry? You've witnessed people or you've read about this? About people being awake during intubation? Yes. I've seen it, but it's very, very rare. It could be like in a trauma situation right. where they're they're literally like... Yeah. But, you know, usually by the time they're, they're getting intubated, be, yeah. they're unconscious. Yeah. They're so unconscious. Let me ask you about that. So if you're on general anesthesia, are you... Is everyone intubated because they're on anesthesia? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a different situation. No, I, I know, but I like, you know, my son happened to just go under, right. under uh, surgery for that, and... And I had heard that your throat can be very sore afterwards. And right. Be, but uh, his wasn't, happily. But he was intubated, I presume, right? Uh, not necessarily. Some general... You can do something called laryn- general laryngeal mask, which means that it's a special kind of... Um, almost like a oval-shaped, uh, spongy uh, mask that's about the size of a walnut i guess and they can stick it into your mouth and it covers the back of your throat imagine looking in a mirror and you can actually i'm trying to think i think i think it goes beyond the uvula so it goes into the back of your throat and it inflates back there Hmm. and somehow it's able to direct air in and out of your trachea without it going into your esophagus i don't know the mechanism of how that works but it's called a general laryngeal mask it is not an endotracheal tube, so it doesn't go down your trachea, and it's you know it's much easier to tolerate. That you don't get sore throats afterwards right. as easily and stuff like I just that. Thought when you're on anesthesia, the problem is, is that it, the problem there. is is that the anesthesiologist doesn't have as much control. So if something goes wrong, um, for some reason it's not you know um, it's you know it's a very airway is the scary thing as far as any you know any whether it's an anesthesiologist or surgery or whatever, the airway is a very scary thing as a practitioner because if you don't have access to the airway, meaning like a tube or something going in there, you're, you're kind of, it's a very rapidly de- um, deteriorating situation. That's right, yeah. You know, and so, um, so like when, a, when, a, when an anesthesiologist has anything other than an endotracheal tube in the trachea, they're always a little bit more on their alert because they know that it, at the drop of a, you know, at, at any situ- time in acute situation, they have to suddenly switch to putting in an endotracheal tube. And it's not like you just drop it in. It can be very difficult to get it in. Yeah. Sometimes people have a funny neck or whatever, and it's extremely difficult. And meanwhile, they're not breathing. Hey, so let me ask you a question. If you're going under gener- general anesthesia, would you rather have like a older doctor seasoned who's done this thousands of times, but who's been out of med school for 30 plus years? Or would you rather have somebody who, who is out of, who's out of med school on the cutting edge of all the new techniques and aware of everything? 
it's not an easy question to answer for the same reason as you could say for just about anything. Um, and for obvious reasons, I mean, the, the younger person is going to, you're right. It's going to have new, maybe some new techniques and some new cutting edge technologies that the older person may not be as facile with. On the other hand, the older person has seen it all and has been in every situation imaginable. And so they can, they can really, you know, work around just about anything. Um, so it's, it's a tough question to answer. Um, I think like anything, it's a balance, but I think on the whole, um, you know, if I were the patient, I certainly would like feel most comfortable with someone who's sort of like, you know, seasoned, maybe they're in their fifties, sixties even, and, and has done this, you know, thousands of times and has no problem with it. On the other hand, having said that, even somebody who's right out of residency, I mean, it's one of those like 99% of the time, it's super easy and straightforward. And the last thing I'll tell you is, anesthesiologists more than any other field in medicine that I've ever seen are way more team oriented than just about any field of medicine. What do I mean? If I'm a urologist and I'm in an operating room and I get into trouble, I can call a urologist in the community and, and, and somebody might come in, but it's not like they're going to drop everything and rush in. You know, you might, you might say to you, you might say like, well, why wouldn't they, why wouldn't they help you if you were in trouble? I mean, you know, they might say like, well, can you call such and somebody else or da, 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 da. It, it may be a negotiation. That's all I can tell you. Um, and maybe it depends on how frantic you are. I don't know. Anesthesia is different. When I'm in an operating room and somebody's getting put under and the anesthesiologist has given the person the drug, the drugs in the drip and they've stopped breathing and now they're trying to put the endotracheal tube in. The second they say, get somebody, I'm having a problem, two or three anesthesiologists will be in the room within like 10 seconds. Is that because it's like, it's like so fast. They, they, they respond to one another. They are so kind of team oriented. Is that because they're just like waiting in the wings on the bench drinking coffee or no, I mean, they're because you know what? Most office hours. No, no, no. I'll tell you what it is. Anesthesiologists have most of their job is sitting and doing nothing. That's what I just said. Most but, of their job doing it usually with a patient, right? So they they spend they spend one percent of their time dealing with ninety nine percent of the anxiety. Do you understand? Yeah. Yeah. So it's like when they're putting the person to sleep for the procedure, or when they're waking the person up for after the procedure. Right. But everything in between, they're just reading the newspaper. Yeah, they're monitoring. I mean, some people who are anesthesiologists might not like that I said this, but they, but it's true. They're they're for the most part they're they're watching the monitor. Certainly, things can go wrong during an operation, and they got to keep their eye on the monitor. The guy could suddenly start having a the patient might start having so, like an irregular heartbeat during the operation, so or I, they might desaturate and lose their oxygen saturation during the operation. But most of the time, their big moment is or moments are the you know, 20 minutes that they're getting the person under so or when they're waking the them up. So one of the key questions for an anesthesiologist, whether they read the New York Post or the New York <laughs> exactly, Times? Exactly, exactly. I mean, look, it's... <laughs> no, but, but my point is, is that if somebody's having a problem, it's no big deal for someone in the operating room next door to, to pop on over. Pop over, And that's yeah. not remiss of them to be stepping Correct. out on that procedure. Correct. It's like a pilot. Like, you want them for exactly. the takeoff and landing. That's you know? exactly the right... The rest of the flight, exactly they the, can do whatever they want. That's the exactly right an- analogy. That's exactly the right analogy. <laughs> I yeah. mean, you're happy that they're there. Yeah. You know what so, drives me crazy about the anesthesiologist? And you go to the surgery centers, and I know, Michael, you're, you've got a yeah. surgery center. 
you sign up and you know that the, the doc is under my insurance. Right, right. It's like hit and miss. They're, they're, that they're actually setting up laws to prevent <laughs> that from happening. Crazy. Yeah. yeah. We hit the insurance question, everybody. Yeah. But it's true. It's frustrating. I get questions from patients sometimes like, yeah. I think is I've the anesthesiologist this Yeah, Just, that's the, all right. Why have them? It doesn't upset you, JT. I, I haven't. I guess run into it. You know, it I, would. You know, <laughs> you're you not should wrong. check on your son's surgery, the knee surgery, mm-hmm. what, whether or not the anesthesiologist was in network. Well, that's this is the thing. I mean, I don't want to get too far into this kind of stuff. But it's like taking your car in. Like you, you know, we we research all sorts of things. But when you go to a doctor or you go to a mechanic, like you're sort of, that's it. You're checking to a hospital. You're not going. You can't negotiate the price of every gauze or what doctor is there. You, you're kind of at the mercy, and you hope that the insurance system takes care of you and doesn't bankrupt you in the process yeah but a lot of these things require pre-approval they do and then and then the insurance companies hammer the doctors on the yeah. price and yeah it's, and then that's, that's... some doctors you know if you have a select doctor they're like i ain't dealing with that insurance i'm out of network man right and so, that's what happens. Well, it's always important. I mean, it's very rare to do an elective surgery and your surgeon not identify whether you're in network or not. They they almost will always Yeah, yeah, the, sur- the surgeon. But you're right. The anesthesia can be tricky. They'll put you and, separately, uh, yeah. I agree. And it's, can the surgery center, that can be out of it, network, it, too. It, it's true. All those things, you need to check them. You need to check them. So I'm going to I'm gonna double back here. Along with the validated parking. So, <laughs> right. so we don't know. Obviously, the situation with Tanya Roberts, what, what she was, what she was dealing with ahead of the time. But we we have talked before that a UTI often will um, be indicated by uh, an odor in your urine, right? Mm. It, that's that's one potential it's indicator. One potential indicator. So it may not. It may not. Okay, so there are yeah, all of these things. I have nine. You would describe it in the in the chart as malodorous urine. You would. Or foul, or, or we might write foul smelling. I might use smelly pee. In we my, might say uh, in foul my, smelling. The patient presents with foul <laughs> smelling urine, or the patient presents with malodorous urine. So there are, according to uh, health.com, there are nine causes of malodorous urine. Let's now, hear it. I don't know. One, well, I'm not going to tell you. You're the doc. Oh, I got to so, know. Oh, boy. Uh, GB can chime in. There's uh, One of them is, is the UTI, so I've given you that one. What about <laughs> Diet Coke? So... There's asparagus. We talked about that. So I think, foods, on yeah, certain foods. So that that falls into that. In that, in not only asparagus, but Brussels sprouts, onions, garlic, uh, curry, salmon, alcohol. Um, what about pineapple? GB, Michael, I'm gonna pineapple. I'm gonna give you diet no, no. coke because coffee is is one of them, and it's a diuretic, as is diet coke, and uh, it flushes your body of extra fluid and sodium. So. Diuretics can cause dehydration. So the, but that's all of not. This, that's not. A, there's no odor there. Uh, it says it can. Huh. Okay. Um, and what's uric acid? Does uric acid smell? I'm not aware that it smells. Uric acid is a breakdown product of protein. Basically, huh. Doc, what they're saying here, and it's another cause or a protein metabolism. Wait, wait. Here, hold on a second. I have a question, Doc. <laughs> you're going to take me off track. Foul smelling <laughs> urine or malodorous urine. Are you, do you ask or do you smell it from the sample? Both. Uh, when, you, when you ask, you're eliciting a symptom. Those are symptoms. The person may say, I, I, do you, you might ask them, do you notice that your urine is like foul smelling? And they sense. may say no. And then you'll do a urinalysis, and then you're sitting there in the lab, and you're like, oh, this is, this is malodorous urine. So that's a sign. Wait, wait, wait. So, but you can, one's a symptom and so, one's a sign. So you, you can smell it in the lab. You could, yeah. But, no, but it, but many it's, times. It's sterile, right? Well, not if it's got bacteria in it. Okay, so 
You don't want to get a whiff of that, do you? Well, I mean, it's that's that's the that's the <laughs> risk of the job, man. You know, there's nothing you can do. There's there's some pretty horrific smells when you're <laughs> in a hospital. A Somebody could have Fournier's gangrene. The whole room, you can yeah. barely breathe. Yeah, it's so bad. The sense of smell isn't really tasting something. Technically, when you're smelling poop in your yard, you're you're there are molecules of your dogs or cats' poop going into your nose. Yes. There you go. Thanks, GB. Smell is always about <laughs> molecules going into, you know, your olfactory sense. Keep, keep that in mind apparatus. as I'm walking my dog later tonight. All right, yeah. so, ha- All right, so, so you said there were nine. Yeah, so, well, so going back to the caffeine, it causes dehydration, and dehydration is another cause. So they're sort of, okay. th- that's a little bit of a cheat, but both of those. So we're down to one, two. I think two. that they're really saying is that dehydration causes you to have concentrated urine, so the odor of the, the odor of urine becomes more prominent. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. So, like, because when I drink Diet Coke or iced tea a lot, because you're, it's forcing, yeah. right. you know, uh, to go to the bathroom, the urine out on the yeah. floor. Interesting. So, um, we have a couple more. Any other guesses? A few more. Of what can cause, of what of what are yeah, causes fouls the, the urine. or causes of foul-smelling urine? Yeah. There's one thing, uh, GB, you do all the time. <laughs> Running. Nope. Or exercise. Nope. Breathe? Nope. <laughs> Vitamins. Oh yeah! Oh it yeah! Certain vitamins. Like That's true. Fluorescent yellow. Like vitamin. Uh, was it B or forget? Uh, it says here um, there's what nothing to worry about if you conclude that that's what it is. They just tend to. Okay. Being a little bit of excess when your body truly needs. I stopped taking vitamins, actually. You, basically, you start peeing the vitamins out. That What yeah. you're smelling is the vi- A lot of people do that. They yeah. take lots of vitamins. They're yeah. just peeing it out. Yeah, what about probiotics? Right. Does that Do they say anything there? No. Not that so I'm I got of. one, two, three, four more. They're all... Two are conditions. Hmm. One you deal with all the time, Doc. Oh, diabetes. Diabetes is, diabetes, is one of them. Ketoacidosis. It smells kind of uh, like uh, they're, saying, they're calling it like a ammonium. Sweet. It smells oh. like ammonium. Extra sugar in your urine, you get going yeah. to have a sweet, fruity smell. Well, that's that's a that's a that's mildly. Uh, I mean, that's on the mild spectrum of diabetes. In the sense that you're spilling urine, and then when you're in what's called diabetic ketoacidosis, meaning you're really in severe diabetes situation, you smell ammonia hmm. in your urine. And you know, I they didn't mention that on there. That's like a classic. No, it just says they can't produce excess sugar the way uh, most people can. No, 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 no. So they have excess so glucose. If, you, if your urine smells sort of like ammonia, you are you are gonna die soon okay. because you're in what's called yeah, it's DKA. It's well, and serious. you know, we we sort of. You know, we, we take this lightly, but I am going through this because it's, as what we always say, mean? you listen to your body, and this is kind of, this is some of the things you may... So, if you have the smell of ammonia in your urine, you better hightail it to the hospital. Absolutely. Yeah. All right, so there's three more. I'll give them to you. Yeast infection sort of goes oh, in with yeah. the UTI. Sure, sure, sure. Um, sexually transmitted infection. Okay. STI. All right. Um, it's all infectious. <laughs> yeah. Um and the last one is the the uh, the old favorite kidney stone. Okay, I, I thought maybe they were going to say that, but I mean, in truth, kidney stone is really the, what's really you're really smelling is the bacteria that are harbored within the kidney stone. So I don't know if they're talking about the actual. A lot of these are bacteria crystal. based, but yeah. they they ultimately yeah. have different causes. Yeah. So there's some other ones too, though. But anyway, is yeah. there anything preventive one can do for, for a UTI? Um. 
you know, that's a good question. There's, there's, um, you see, you hear that, Jay? It was a good question. <laughs> <laughs> there is, um, I know there's peeing after sex, right? So we, for we've women, talked about that on for the women, show. if they pee after, uh, actually right before or right after or both, it, it's helpful. Um, and for the other thing that's helpful is something called D manos, D as in dog dash manos. Manos is a type of sugar. I can't say exactly what it is that D-Manos does to help prevent infections, but it's a supplement. You can buy it. Um, my sense is that it's that particular sugar. So there's glucose and fructose. Manos is just one of the carbohydrate sugars that um, I don't think it is taken up by your cells. So it doesn't like cause you to have it's not like eating sugar. It's, it's a different type of molecule, but it's, um, difficult for bacteria to, um, basically digest it. And so, um, somehow it prevents them from getting into your bladder. Hmm. Um, so that's one. And then everybody talks about cranberry. I'm not a big fan and it's as been, preventative or as, more as of preventative a cure. as preventative. Huh. Some people think it's a cure, but it's not. Well, d- Dogface on TikTok with his dream <laughs> dream video, he's a big fan of the cranberry. I, you know, I'm not following you on TikTok. Maybe I, uh, <laughs> I'm i not seeing all of your content, GB. So there you go. I actually made a TikTok video. Uh, I didn't post it because <laughs> I did it for me and my daughter. But TikTok is, uh, I don't know, are you guys on TikTok? Nope. It sucks you in, yeah. and the next thing you know, it's two hours later it's a, because... It's, it's it's the time suck beyond because at the end you're like what did I just do nothing yeah, but no, nothing so, was of it, value like, I know I sound like an old man but it is like it's a me- the satisfaction addictive is immediate. and pointless at the same time yeah. which is a weird combo yeah yeah the satisfaction's immediate yeah. and uh, <laughs> yeah. and there's some algorithm and it figures out exactly what you like yeah, they have there are things ra- range ranging from magic tricks to wild stunts it's everything depending on what music, you follow it's everything but it's the addictive nature of of immediately going to the next thing. They've really dialed that in. It's kind of scary. Um, all right, well, Doc, I know you have a case, but I, I think um, let's save it. Okay. Let, let's save that it for next good. week. That sounds good. I appreciate the, the convo and the uh, and the input. Thanks, all guys. right, guys. I, I, I appreciate the face mask yeah. from, from Absolutely. our listener, Jay's sister. From our listener, from our, our president of our fan club. Yeah. Right. And, and just, just so she knows, every podcast I wear the hat. You do, actually. It's true. I will say, GB is, is pretty consistent. He's a good brand ambassador. No, no question. All right, guys. Cheers. Bye, guys. Bye. So that's our show. Thanks for listening. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Two Men and a Doc is hosted by Dr. Michael Hyman, GB, and Jay Tannenbaum. Produced by Jay Tannenbaum. The views and opinions expressed here by Dr. Hyman are based on his medical training and experience, but if you or someone you know are experiencing any medical issues, you should, of course, consult your own physician. We welcome your questions about men's health or anything you've heard on this podcast, so write to us at mail at twomenandadoc.com. That's M-A-I-L at twomenandadoc.com. If you live in the Los Angeles area and want to see Dr. Hyman, you can find his contact info at drhymanla.com. That's D-R-H-Y-M-A-N-L-A.com. And these links are also in the show notes. That's it for this week. See you next time on Two Men and a Doc.